You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome everybody once again to the Oz Network. And we come to you for a very special episode today, a bit of an interesting one. Not something we've done really ever before, I think, in any format of this or any of other shows that uh, we are involved in. I'd like call this a backdoor pilot in some ways, as we are about to spin off into another show, just in case you didn't think that I or any of our other co-hosts were busy enough with everything else that we do that we don't get any listeners, but we're going to do another show that doesn't get any listeners as well, because fuck it, why not? We want to do something. We are here today to bring you an interview with a former Australian Survivor contestant from Season 2, not the Channel 10 version, the actual Season 2, 2006's Celebrity Survivor that aired on Channel 7. And this is an interview that is going to be very exciting and going to lead into a fantastic new project that we are going to be getting involved with. And this is a project that is not just me. It is also involving another gentleman who knows about Survivor, probably a little bit more than I do because he actually played the game and sadly I haven't. I do, of course, speak of Australian Survivor contestant, Mr. Matt Dyson. Matt, first of all, welcome back to the Oz Network. Ben, it is an absolute pleasure and I'm so excited uh, about this interview that we've just done, but more importantly, our new project. Um, mate, it's going to be amazing times and uh, I have a feeling we're going to get a few listeners along the way. I'm, I'm hoping that's the case because I'm not, I'm not used to that. So I'm, I'm banking on you to be the person that brings them in <laughs> with some name recognition. You are the Rob Sestanino of uh, Australian Survivor podcast now because you have one. <laughs> are you officially now the only Australian Survivor contestant who's officially going to have a podcast in a couple of days' time? Th- that is true, but, uh, mate, you're definitely leading the way. Uh, like I've often said, you're the icon of um, Australian – or podcast survivor in general so uh mate i'm sure you'll be uh teaching me well i'm in good hands well yeah we'll see how it goes um but i mean i think this is exciting this interview for first of all i should mention the interview i mean you've obviously already clicked on it if you're listening to this amber petty of course competed on season two of celebrity survivor in australia and the backdoor pilot of this a couple of days ago you would have seen us announce on our social media an exciting new podcast pod Apparently, I paused with that now. Uh, we're calling it Australian Survivor Archives, and basically, the the idea of this podcast is to go back into the archives and celebrate the history that is Australian Survivor. So, we we realise that a lot of people like to ignore the first two seasons of Australian Survivor and only focus on the Channel Ten ones. Kind of think we've finally gotten this great new version of it, so this is what we need to focus on. But we we want to kind of encompass all of it under one banner and go through the history of this show and bring a sense of of history, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, to where we started, where we are, and why we're here where we are today. And a lot of that is going to be based around episode recaps, talking about the seasons individually, getting interviews along the way. So this interview, Matt, uh, with Amber, is a great taste of this. Now, now tell our, tell our listeners a little bit about this, because you you are the bloodhound here. You, you are the one that found Amber. You are the one that kind of set the bar rolling with a lot of how this even came about, with particularly the interview side of things. So tell, tell a little bit about this interview and how this all came about. Well, it, it's funny because you, you hit the nail on the head. There's, there's, you know, Survivor goes back in Australia to 2002, and there's so many untold stories that that you know massive fans like you and I n- never have never heard before um so i reached out to uh you know the few of the celebrity survivors from the 2006 channel 7 and one interview in we we're already hearing stories i mean the listeners are about to hear st- untold stories never um 
that no one knew anything about. And this Amber Petty interview is absolute gold. To be a part of it is is massive. Um, and it's just going to set the scene for our new podcast, um, Australian Survivor Archives. And it's exactly why I want to be involved in this new podcast with you. I want to, um, for all the fans out there, the massive fans, to hear stories that never heard before um, and just, just start talking about the old Survivor, the new Survivor, and, um, you know, track down these people along the way. And you're right, I, I'm known as a bit of a bloodhound uh, amongst my friends and my work colleagues. So I thought, why not use my skills? You know, unfortunately, they didn't work on, on playing the game. But if I can put them to good use during this podcast, um, hopefully the fans will, will enjoy that and, and reap the benefits. I think we're going to call you, uh, similar to how Rob calls himself, the Rob that sucks. Uh, we've had a Matt pretty much on almost every Australian survivor. So you can be the Matt that sucks. How does that sound? <laughs> does that does that work for you? Uh, how about... Uh, the unlucky Matt. No, right, I right, still right, say yeah. I was unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't say I'm the Ben that sucks because a I've never played and b that's unfair to. I mean, God, we we literally had the worst Australian Survivor player of all time. It's called Ben. So we'll, we'll get to that. And he's on this season with Amber. But in, in all seriousness, this is a fantastic chat, and it's very appreciative that uh, you know Matt, you've gone and gotten some of these because. I have to say, a lot of people who maybe are kind of going into this and look at this and roll their eyes and go, oh, that season doesn't count, all that sort of stuff. And again, that's going to be a part of this new podcast is trying to get a new level of respect, at least, for where this show started from. But Amber delivers a fantastic interview here, as you said, with some great behind-the-scenes moments. And and I, I've i been doing interviews and, and radio and talking now for, for 15 years I've never made a person cry before, at least without, you know, the torture of hearing my voice, but legitimately brought up a topic of conversation where they've been emotional enough to break down and kind of just through what we're learning here through Amber and everything along those lines really is a fantastic insight into so many things uh, to do with not only the game of Survivor, but outside of it, because it was a unique season, season two in Australia, being a celebrity version. And she kind of addresses a lot around that, and particularly what the word celebrity meant to her, because there's a big reveal in this interview about who was meant to potentially be on this season instead of her. And it would have changed the entire season because they were a very big name in 2006. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say, Ben, that once we finished this interview, it was when we discussed and said, hey, this is awesome. This is exactly, you know, we need to start a new podcast, Australian Survivor Archives, because of Amber Petty's interview. It was that good. It it gave us so much insight to the behind the scenes um, that we we knew straight away. We both knew that, hey, we can't just let this be a one-off. We need to go track down the rest of the season one and season two from the Channel 9 and Channel 7 seasons and hear the same similar stories, untold stories. So, you know, we've got Amber to thank for it. And it was an amazing interview, um, you know, and uh, look, she's she's been an absolute champion. And I just hope that the viewers now, um, the listeners will enjoy the interview, which I'm sure they will. Well, you're about to hear it now. This is our interview that we did as in treating it as a bit of a backdoor pilot for Australian Survivor Archives. Our chat with Australian Survivor Season 2 contestant Amber Petty here on the Oz Network. Very exciting to be able to start off this new series of interviews here on the Oz Network. Of course, many long-term listeners of this show back in the Survivor Oz days probably know us best 
from interviewing former contestants, learning all about their time on the show and everything else in between. And a lot of you ask, when are we doing that again? And we thought, well, let's try it up. Let's start something up similar to that and learn from contestants from the past. And we're very excited for today because, of course, we are the one podcast in the world that actively defends the previous Australian Survivor seasons that came before Channel 10. We acknowledge history. We make sure that people are aware there have been six seasons of Australian Survivor, not four. Of course, before it came back in 2016, we had a 2002 version on Channel 9 and a 2006 celebrity version on Channel 7. And today, I'm very excited, for the very first time ever on any version of this show, to have a contestant from that season from season two, season two, ladies and gentlemen, of Australian Survivor. And we are joined on the line by a lady who was fourth voted out of that season, but still with plenty of stories to tell after all these years. I do, of course, speak with Miss Amber Petty. Amber, welcome to the Oz Network. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's, um, yeah, it's a really delayed uh, experience to be able to talk about something that has been tucked away in my vault and uh, and maybe the vaults of TV. It's, it's some something that, in all fairness, uh, I didn't know if we would ever get around to, to chatting to people from your season because I think what I found with Matt and I in particular, kind of since we've been talking recently a lot about Australian Survivor in general, is becoming staunch defenders of the first two seasons because so many people want to forget that they ever happened. They're they're happy they've got this Channel 10 version. They're satisfied with the product. They think, finally, we've got a version that lives up to the Survivor name. Yet, here I am, here Matt is, remembering your season, remembering the Channel 9 one, thinking, well, hang on a minute, this happened, and they weren't that bad. So that's why we want to be here and have you on the show today. Yeah, um, and I kind of appreciate that. And, it, and when you guys contacted me, it was it was sort of weird because obviously I've been aware of, you know, the Channel 10 uh, series recently and it's been massive. And it has been, like, odd because it's been like, oh, yeah, that's right, I did Survivor. Um, I've done that show and, you know, it's no one sort of mentioned it. Like normally in terms of media, they would say, and this what this is what came before and, you know, and this was the experience and even just comparisons, whether they thought our series was shit or not. But it's like it never happened and it really did happen. And, and, and at the time it rated well and but I think the biggest issue with, I don't know, maybe um, the credibility of it and for me personally was the fact that they called it Celebrity Survivor. I feel like, and that was certainly I knew at the time that it was genuinely part of the Survivor brand but it was obviously a bit of a guinea pig and um, because supposedly, you know, everyone on it was like people that had done, you know, had some sort of kind of like relevance in, in whatever it was. But, I, I you know, I, I, certainly for myself I never thought that I was a celebrity. But I did know that, you know, when we were doing the show that it was all the elements of Survivor. So in a way um, it it's recently until you guys contacted me felt a little 
it reminded me that it's a little sad that I I kind of shelved that experience um, and the challenges of that experience away because I I was always embarrassed that it was called Celebrity Survivor, you know? So, Amber, yes, Celebrity Survivor, obviously when you turned up, I don't know if you knew what type of other celebrities you were expecting to see out in the island. Now, you were listed as an entertainment reporter. Um, how did you feel about that going in? Is that is that why you think you got on the show or or what were you expecting from the whole thing? Well, in all honesty, I never expected to be invited on the show um, and I certainly never ex- uh, considered myself as a celebrity. So I... From, I had an agent at the time and he was like an agent that looked after all sorts of massive people like Molly Meldrum, I think Danny Minogue, like Sonia Kruger. Like he was a really credible entertainment uh, agent. But I was like, you know, the bottom of his pile and I was early days. I'd done some MTV reporting Um, I'd done quite a lot of, like, I was working at New Idea at the time and I was sort of this mixed bag of things for Pacific Magazines and uh, Channel 7. So I was was an entertainment reporter as such, but I hadn't been doing it a really long time. But but I also knew that, you know, what the attraction was, was, um, so it was 2006 that, Two years before, I had been the bridesmaid in my best friend's wedding and the wedding, you know, she, her, my best friend um, was and is, you know, uh, Princess Mary of Denmark. So that was a very, very big thing and, you know, I was just her best friend and so I kind of got thrown into a bit of a media firestorm and so it was very... But I was already working in media and entertainment, um, definitely, arguably, things were offered to me, I'm not just talking about Survivor, but things were offered to me once I, it had become, you know, once I'd been in that, that wouldn't have been offered to me before. So I was in this really difficult position of, like, I was already on a trajectory of a uh, a career within entertainment and media, but then that landed and suddenly I really didn't know who to trust or what my relevance and worth was. So when I got offered that, um, I felt uncomfortable about if I said yes to being a contestant on Celebrity Survivor, it meant that I was saying, oh, I'm a celebrity and that was something that I didn't feel and also I'd been given a really hard time about by a lot of people especially in the media like taking the piss out of me so I really said to them when they approached me I said well you know why are you approaching me it's you know you're not getting royal bridesmaid out of this um so if I consider it you're gonna have to call me an entertainment reporter because that is what I'm doing I'm doing tv I'm doing this I'm doing that but you know, I wasn't I wasn't Richard Wilkins, you know. I wasn't well, I wasn't known as that space. So I knew that people would go, Really? Entertainment but like who the fuck is she? You know. So it was just really difficult um to 
make the decision on whether I would, you know, it was, it was a, you know, it's Survivor. Like it's one of the most incredible brands in the entire world. And even though I didn't know, I didn't watch the show, it wasn't my bag at all. I also knew it was an incredible opportunity. And so I really had to have a very solo chat to myself and try and remove myself from what I knew would be inevitably, you know, haters and baggers and putting myself into the fire of critics again, you know, as I was trying to extract myself and as as I was trying to be taken seriously because, you know, people really kind of like just sort of, you know, burnt my CV the minute I was like the royal bridesmaid. That you know, the media got very bitchy, so it was very difficult. And um, but I finally decided that because I'd had such a hard time in many ways, and also because because of my situation by being the royal bridesmaid, when I suddenly found myself like I'm working in the media. And the very people I work for are the ones that are coming at me, are coming at my best friend. Like it was like I was like literally in the lion's den going, oh, my God. Like how, uh, like I was, I just had a job prior to my best friend meeting a prince and marrying him. Now I'm, I'm like literally, you know, dancing with the devil. And so I, I ended up having to leave my job and, like, so my career started falling apart. So I didn't have any money either, hmm. you know. So hmm. it became a financial decision, but it also became a decision where I went, I need to find my inner hero and this is a show that sounds like a nightmare <laughs> Like, it is everything I don't want to do. I don't even want to watch a show like that, let alone be in it. And in the end, that's exactly why I chose to do it. I went, I, you know what? I don't give a shit about what people think about me. I actually need to dig deep and try and heal this relationship with myself. You know? Does that make sense? It does. It does. I, I I want to get to more of this and I don't want to fixate on the whole Mary thing because this isn't why we've got you on the show. But I, I at least need to say... I understand you're from Hobart, so it's okay. Thank you very much. I'm glad you respect <laughs> that part of it. That's where this is coming from, Amber. <laughs> yeah. How do you meet her, firstly? And secondly, did you ask her what you should do in this situation if you were going to be, I guess, put in this situation where maybe they're going to purely emphasise the fact that you were the royal bridesmaid, you know, does she then get an input so you can let her know that this is maybe what they're going to do to you? Yeah. Um, So firstly, um, I met her, I was working at an advertising marketing, well, it was an advertising agency, DDB Needham, and then it had a side kind of, uh, part to it which was called Rap Collins Worldwide which was a marketing agency and so I was working there when she arrived and I was working on reception um, I was a rat bag at school so I, I never got a, any degrees or anything like that so I was basically sitting on reception 
trying to convince all the degree people that, you know, make me a, an account coordinator. Like, you know, I'm really good and whatever. Anyway, so um, one day she, the, the new girl turned up and, and she was the new girl and she um, she had a degree or she was nearly finished a law degree or something like that and um, she was uh, – she was – I, did, I like I remember the first time I saw her, and I just thought, "Who is this? This girl is so beautiful, and she's this." She, I don't know. She just—I I will never forget when I first saw her for some reason. But as I got to know her just through being a work colleague, she was definitely someone that was very unlikely to be one of my posse. <laughs> she was a lot more kind of quiet and conservative, and you know that kind of thing, but it was kind of exactly that that I just thought was really cool about her, you know. I just thought it was just something about her that I really loved. So strangely, we ended up uh, becoming friends when I was probably, I reckon I was about 25, so she would have been about 23, Um, and... uh, and then, you know, a year or so later, her mum died, and that was really big. And um, and I remember just sort of after that, like she called me and told me her mum had died, and I didn't realise, I didn't think at the time that we were close enough friends for me to get that information, you know. But um, I just remember after that call, I just thought, I don't know, whatever she's seen in me, like, I kind of want to be that person. Um, yeah, it was it was a really beautiful and strange kind of start to our friendship. And then she went overseas for a while after her mum died and uh, I moved to Sydney to work in the music industry. And um, when she was uh, considering coming back, I just campaigned like crazy to get her to Sydney and just went, Melbourne, shit, you got to come to Sydney. It's so great. Of course, I didn't know that at all. In fact, I don't think I ever believed that about Sydney, but I campaigned hard because I wanted her there. And um, and once she got there, I think that's when we became really, really close friends. Um But then getting to your question about uh, doing Survivor, um, I don't remember specifically our conversations about me doing it, although 100% we would have had them. Um, I guess I can only answer in a general term because also before Survivor, I was offered, so I'd been working at Pacific Magazines and I'd been working in teen magazines and then I was, like, offered a job at New Idea Um, and, but I was also offered a job at OK Magazine, which hadn't started in Australia and I definitely consulted her and said, look, here's the deal. I'm confused about what I'm being offered these days because of you. Um, and she was very thoughtful and caring about processing what was good for me versus how it was going to look for her. Mm-hmm. So 
I can only imagine that it's probably the same about Survivor. But I will say that um, I definitely know that lots of people over in her new country thought, what is this girl doing? Like, this is embarrassing. Like, this is not a cool thing for her to do. And, you know, they didn't know me and they didn't know what I was, they didn't know the journey I'd been on, you know, in terms of losing my best friend, you know. And that's always what it was to me. It was, it was, it was never about, um, you know, everyone was so excited about the fairy tale and all of that sort of stuff about, you know, Mary meeting Frederick and then getting married. But to me, even though that was there, in, you know, the main backdrop to everything with me was I was losing my best friend and I just thought she'd always be there. So that was... I guess at the time that I was offered Survivor, I was I was a little more aware that it had been hard for me, and um, that I that my self esteem and my confidence and my spirit had taken a major punch. You know. So when you got that call from your agent to say, "Hey, Channel Seven are, are doing a Celebrity Survivor. Are you keen?" You said yes. Um, it was well, as no, simple as. No, no, I didn't immediately say yes. Okay, so yes. Yeah, so ha- how did the whole process work? So my agent called me and said, oh, you know, blah, 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 there's a celebrity survivor and, you know, they're interested in you, what do you think? And I went, oh, no, that doesn't sound like me at all. No, that, no, that sounds awful. Um, I don't do, you know, I, I don't think I've, you know, I've been like camping once in my life. Um, everything, like I don't even like the show. It kind of gives me shivers. I don't do outdoor. <laughs> I don't do underwater. I don't do, you know, I just don't do any of that. Like you literally couldn't have called up about a worse show for me to consider. <laughs> you know, I don't, like it wasn't about money. It was just like the whole concept just went, oh, God, you know, everything, you know, like no makeup, like no, like it, it honestly, it was just the ultimate vile thought to me and and also just you know I will fail in every way like I'm not tough in any of this stuff you know like any of it so I was very kind of like no no doesn't no like I get it but but he was sort of like um you know we'll think about it and I'm like okay I'll think about it and I guess the more I thought about it it became more of the old can I try, this could be good for the inner hero thing, a little bit about the money. Um, and then I, and then he really sat with, like, then I finally said yes and I sat for however long it was in, okay, oh, my God, I'm doing this. Like I really went into it and it was uncomfortable and, it was a nightmare and I didn't want to do it, but I got to a place of acceptance with it. And then my agent called me and said, oh, um, Anna Kornikova's, uh was supposed to be doing it. You were filling her spot and now she's back and she wants to do it. So you're not doing it. And so they take, they're, they're piffing you. Like the rest, of the, the rest of the cast is all locked in. But you're the loser that no one really wanted in the end. And like, I get it, Anna Konnikova, but 
uh, it was just a further slap to my self-esteem that in a way they never re- I was never really good enough for it and it was annoying because I'd just gone into this whole space of shit of considering that I was going to do it. Like I'd switched my gear and then suddenly I'm like, nah, they, you know, they don't want you and I was out. I packed my bag. So, so there was disappointment when you got the call to say you're out. Was was it all relief? I think what it was, it wasn't. I, I I don't think it was what I would call disappointment. It was annoyance that I'd put myself through the ringer of this, um, you know, pushing myself through the idea, you know, bothering to take the time for so long, considering why I would do something that I really didn't want to do. And then coming up with all of these reasons why it would be amazing and then literally at the last minute just going, yeah, they don't want you. Hmm. Like you're not going. And then so then so that was very annoying. And then literally a day or like two, maybe two days before everyone, all the contestants were getting on the plane, my agent calls me back and says, Anna didn't get on the plane. They want you back. And I'm like, you have to be fucking joking. <laughs> like, are you, like, are you joking? And he's like, no. And, of course, he's being agent. I want my yeah. 20%. Yeah. You know, doing the whole spiel. And I was just furious that, you know, not that, I, I mean, I, I was just furious that I, I was already fragile. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't strong enough to keep going, to go bang, 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 you know, like I just wasn't. So it was difficult. And I just said, well, you know what? And th- and that's when I got tough. I went, right, well, you know what? How about you go and screw them on the money and then we'll talk. And, of course, he went, cool, I'm good at that. <laughs> and he went and screwed them on the money and we got quite a bit more and I went, cool, I'll do it because I was already in the friggin' space and now I've got now I've got what probably everybody else has been paid. Yeah, so get an extra incentive. Correct, let's do this shit. Which I have to... So I almost, almost like I came up to par with everybody. I have to ask because one of the things, Matt and I both actually rewatched it sort of in the last seven or so days because uh, it had been a while since we'd both seen it. And the one thing that I think I completely forgot is that none of you were actually playing for money. You were playing for charity. So at the end of the day, you're going through all this hardship and turmoil uh, for, I guess, reward for your charity, of course, which, of course, in itself is a great thing. But I was thinking this whole time, they're having to be paid, obviously, a bit here from Channel 7. Are you allowed to disclose how much you got paid for going out there? Well, interesting point. So what were you – so in your seasons, like as non-celebrity people, um, what was your cash prize? Because I don't no. even know. I don't watch the show. So so they do it differently than the Amer- in America. So in Australia now, it's just the winner gets a half a million dollars and everyone else just gets a daily – Yeah, yeah. So – Whoa. It's funny, but yeah. So the the last two seasons, and I was on the first champions versus contenders, which is basically a celebrities versus 
the average Joe. So if, if you were on it now, back if, if, if the Channel 10 season was back when you did it, you, know, you would have been on the, the Champions team, but you would have been playing for the 500000 yourself. So you would have got that at the end. So, um, Can I just say, even the fact that you're saying that, I'm just picturing how different I would have been on the show. Man, I would have been scrapping hard. (laughs) Well, and I think, and I think you notice that too. I I guess you notice that in when you watch like the your season, the celebrity season, to to where you you, where obviously you've got paid to go out there, but then at the end, ultimately, you're 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 trying to win to get the hundred thousand dollars for your charity. Where now it's people are willing to do anything, which which creates better gameplay because people are playing for half a million dollars in their own pockets. So you're you're going to be willing to do a lot more. Shit, yeah. dirty, dirty things to get what? that half a minute. That's a lot of money, but yeah, but no, I, I um, so I went out there and no, unless you, unless you win, um, basically, yeah, you get nothing. You get a living allowance, a, a, a very minimal. You get a... a very a very minimal living living allowance. It's nothing to even talk and about. And to it's clarify, nothing. Amber, sadly, I haven't played, but um, you know, I'm just the guy in the chair who talks to the people who have played. Right. So, yeah, I appreciate I that you think know. I would have played, but thank you. <laughs> no, totally. And this is like I'm a consistently naive person, so I thought you played as well. And pre- keep pretending. That's fine. I, I won. <laughs> I'm a winner. I'm the greatest Australian Survivor player ever. Simple. Yep. <laughs> you, you can tell me anything and I would believe it. I'm Australia's but, Richard uh, Hatch. Simple. That's how it works. I, 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 this is, this is um, like, no, like don't quote me, don't uh, Channel 7, don't sue me. I feel like I got maybe thirty thousand. Not bad. So, so with that, it, it didn't. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it didn't matter if you were Kim Johnson being voted out first, or if you were right. Guy Leach who, who yeah. won. No. It, it, it doesn't matter how long you stayed on for. If you were out in three days or out in twenty five, lasted till the twenty five oh, days. Yeah. It didn't. You got the same amount. Yep. Yes, but but. Here's where there was a difference and I guess where potentially even karmically we've sort of, uh, and karmic, maybe karmically is not even the right word, maybe fairly we've been ignored in terms of the Survivor series is that um, we, like, um, sorry, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, okay, so what I knew about our season, which I always felt very different to, was that everyone bar me was there for a reason in term because they were in their heads and genuinely some of them genuine celebrities. The most overwhelming uh, thing that I noticed was how Everybody bar me was there to reignite their career. So that, if you put a value on that, that could be half a million because you don't know where that could go and what that's going to bring in. And because I had never been a celebrity and didn't consider myself a celebrity, I came in from a very different perspective. I came in with my own little agenda and it wasn't about money and Surprisingly, now that it, you know, reality shows are so big, but they weren't back then. 
I didn't even have the thought in my head, oh, wow, this could make me really famous and people might really like me and then I might end up with more money. Like that was not even a consideration either. I just literally went in going, somehow, I know I've kind of been invited into this and it's off the back of something that I don't really want to, I feel very conflicted about feeling like am I, using that situation but I've made the commitment to myself that it's not about that and I'll wear the hate and the criticism but it was literally like but you're getting 30 grand and we'll see how much of a hero you become to yourself that was all mine was but I was very much aware which made me really uncomfortable being surrounded by people that they were a different league of people. They were celebrities wanting to reignite their careers. And I and I, and I know it's really judgmental, but I found that really gross. I, I just didn't like it. I just didn't feel comfortable. It just, you know, I get it. And I, of course, it's like just that's what everyone does these days. But I found it a very uncomfortable, icky starting ground were you uh, overly familiar with the ones on your tribe on the moso tribe obviously you were all female except for justin who sort of came in on that that boat but i mean had you worked with any of them dealt with any of the the people on your tribe at that point no so uh, the tribes were obviously split into girls and guys which i mean really I mean, <laughs> or it's such a shocking basis i mean please, <laughs> like so bad um so the girls on my side um no i didn't i knew um i knew imogen bailey was like the the sort of pin-up poster mm-hmm. girl what do you call it you know well, well she was probably the biggest name at the time i'm just trying to think back to sort of around that period i mean she was a household name everyone knew who she imogen was. bailey she was, was. She was the hot girl sexy Model, I guess you know you call it um, Nicole Rich. No, not Nicole Richie. Nicole Dixon. Dixon. <laughs> Nicole Richie. Nicole she got Dixon. cut with Anna Kornikova. She was, you know, on the plane <laughs> back at the airport. She definitely she did get on the plane. Nicole Richie definitely didn't get on the plane. Um, Nicole Dixon uh, used to be obviously a Bobby. huge household name. Yeah. Um, and actually, to be honest, like I should say, I d- never got the feeling that she was trying to ignite anything. She was just really lovely and she used to be, a, you know, for a long time, a, a household name as part of Home and Away. Um, there was Fiona Horn that, because I'd worked in the music industry, I was well aware of her because she was part of Def FX, the band or whatever. Yep, so yep. even though that there was a bit of time since then, you know, there was credibility kind of there, but at the same time I knew the audience wouldn't necessarily know her. And, and to my impression, she was definitely one of the ones that wanted to kickstart something. Um, who else was it? Uh, Kim Johnson. Who else? Oh, Kim Johnson. Oh, my God. I have to say she was just beautiful. Like she was if anyone cared less about being there, it was her. <laughs> um, <laughs> she voted for herself to well, leave, didn't she? I, I was mean... going to say, 
<laughs> I was going to say that was evident the fact it was a 6 0 vote and there was only six people in the tribe. So work that one out. But you know what? Kim literally from day one kind of looked around at us all on the beach and went, oh, what am I doing here? And not in a snobby way. She just didn't give a shit. You know, she was doing really well on Dancing with the Stars. She's a professional dancer. She was amazing. She's really sweet and sensitive. And she just went, I I just, this was a mistake. So (laughs) she just didn't care about being there. So did you know she was going to vote for herself? Like, did she tell you guys leading into that tribal council that she was going to be writing her own name down? Um, We definitely got the sense fairly early on that she (laughs) was going to, you know what it became? It became, she was one of those nice people out of the group that went, I can see most of you really want this and I don't, and I'm a nice person, so I don't want to get in your way. So I'm just going to kind of almost drown myself. (laughs) So, you know, she was just, she just, uh, you know, I I don't know whether she could have done it physically. Like maybe she could, like she was obviously an incredibly strong dancer, but I think because she was such a nice person and she, and she like, I guess me in a way had said, yes, I'll do this. But then suddenly got on the island just went, oh, everyone really wants this and they're taking it very seriously and I don't really think I want to be here, so I might just try and opt out. Well, well, maybe she was the most strategic player in your season because it sounds like she just got a paycheck and got out of there in three days instead of having to last she 25. $10,000 a day, that's smart. Yeah, that, that's actually <laughs> probably very strategic. And let me give you the tip, right? So I haven't heard about her for a thousand years right since the series and I was in LA about two months ago and I was having my hair done by this guy called Glenn Nutley who's an Australian who is like one of the most successful hairdressers in the entire world like he was Britney's hairdresser for five years He's Miley Cyrus's hairdresser. Like, he's literally this Aussie that's just kicked ridiculous goals overseas with the biggest people in the world. He's best friends with Kim. And Kim, and so he, somehow it came about either then or later that, and I think it was on the day where I was getting my hair done, somehow I knew Kim or whatever it was. Anyway, Kim is now married to a bazillionaire. She's got beautiful children, a beautiful husband, and everything that the girl deserves. So, you know, whatever Kim had has is exactly what you need in life. It's, Do you know what I mean? Like she's just a beautiful human being that has just attracted good stuff and she di- she didn't yeah, she did she wasn't desperate for anything, and and that became apparent very quickly. Well, it's it's interesting well, because of out of all the the contestants. I mean, I think she's also just about to be on that real dirty dancing show, isn't she? So she's still yeah. obviously active and and working. Oh yeah, but she went on to be, be um, you know one of the main dancers mm. on Dancing with the Stars in the US for years, like very soon after that. So very active still, which it's it's kind of interesting because. Um, you know, sort of going through the names there that you were talking about, um, 
Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Really, don't see much of any of them anymore. I mean, you obviously had Justin Melvy pop up on your tribe too, and I I grew grew up watching Home and Away. I think I just missed the Bobby period. I was probably a bit too young, but I remember Justin Melvy on on Home and Away, and he went on. Was he in like Days of Our Lives or Young and the Restless or yeah, one of those shows yeah. too? So I mean, he kind of was there and. I think he's in real estate now or something. So, I mean, didn't quite find the bazillionaire to marry, unfortunately. Justin, what was, what was Justin like when he comes on that beach? Because, I mean, I can imagine this twist where it's kind of like you got Gabrielle over on the men's tribe and you've got Justin coming over. It's kind of this interesting little bit of a, a twist that they throw at you. Amazing that they decided to throw Gabrielle Richards over with the boys. Amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, um, if you had a quarter, Cove yeah. would have ended up over there. <laughs> like seriously, she was absolutely destined for that that side of the beach. Um, so Justin Melby, yes, well, I mean he's you know survivor, which is the whole when you think someone's your ally and they're grooming you to be the ally and then they stab you in the back like Justin was that to me. I mean, Justin basically played his cards, you know, so obviously, you know, there's a part of me that's playing the game and then there's a part of me that just isn't playing as hard or in the way as the rest of the, the team. But definitely Justin... Uh, targeted me as someone that he made out as if, yeah, we're similar types and, you know, yeah, we're, you know, very laid back and we're allies and and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and he, he was also brilliant in that he did fuck all. <laughs> like, seriously, he did nothing. So basically he found himself a little niche because, you know, I mean, it was so sexist that, you know, why are we all girls around, you know, like on one side of the island and whatever. And so basically what he did was he identified that he was good at making a fire and keeping it going, which was very important considering at that particular time when we were doing Survivor in Vanuatu, it was winter and it was also the worst winter they'd had in 40 years. So we're not in the sun we're in the damp, dark shit of, you know, a beach. And so fire was the most important thing. So he quickly, and I think very predatory, identified that he was good at making a fire and that we always needed it going or, you know, things were going to become really shit house. And so that's all he did. Like he just literally stood there stoking the fire. And I remember even though... I liked him and, and I thought we were friends. I still remember a couple of moments when I'd look over at him and I and so you become like, you know, as you would know, Matt, you become uh, desensitised about cameras being around. And but I remember at one point, and I was particularly like that because I just didn't take any of it seriously, but I remember there was cameras right up at the fire and I remember just looking at Justin and he was doing this face through the smoke and I thought, oh, my God, 
that is a general hospital end of scene face. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, Jesus, is he playing as like what is happening with the face? Did they? Does everyone know? That that's what he's doing. Like, are they taking the piss out? Like, and he, and he was, and he absolutely went was totally going. Here's the promo. Here's me looking hot through the smoke, and it's all I'm frigging doing while we're scavenging around, just trying to get banana leaves that aren't broken, so we don't end up like lying in the wet. You know, we're trying to find food that's not there. We've got no clues on anything. And he's just standing there prodding that stinking fire with his stupid general hospital face. <laughs> hey, Amber, I want to I bring you back to day one. Um, uh, Dicko comes up. You guys are on the boat. And he asked everyone what their one personal item is. <laughs> now, I thought this was absolute classy. I have to ask you, the mascara. What's the go with that? Yeah, how's me sitting here bagging everyone, and now you're bringing that up? <laughs> I had to. I had to. He's ask. been sitting on that for a week, Amber. <laughs> of course, you have to ask. I mean, I'm still asking myself. Well, so in the in the information that gets sent to you um, about what you can bring and all of that sort of stuff, there is, you know, obviously a very short list on. Uh, the things that you can bring in terms of clothes and blah, blah, blah. But there is, it's mentioned that you can bring one thing of your choice. So that can be pretty much anything. And I decided because I was so painfully uh, stressed about how shit I would look on camera without makeup, that I literally couldn't go past <laughs> taking mascara as my one thing. Did you, did you use it? Shit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did Justin just use imagine. it? I, I, just, I just couldn't imagine being out, yeah, being out the island using the mascara. <laughs> mascara. No, it, to be honest, actually that's not true. When I said yes, of course I used it. I reckon I used it on the first day or two until we started doing the challenges and then once we did the challenges and, and, and of course like as you probably know like they you don't know when they're going to say hey and now you're doing a challenge yeah and most of the challenges are underwater or in water of some sort which is a nightmare like that is to me that is the most anxious space I could ever be in is around pool or water or any of that. So it was that that became like a horrific issue for me. But what was also a horrific issue was the fact that obvious I, I mean I hadn't been smart enough to think let's take, you know, waterproof mascara. I just was so caught up on like mascara. So <laughs> after I realized after the first challenge that not only did I look like a piece of shit coming out of the water that I had friggin' black, like literally almost like so bad that it was coming into my mouth. Like I couldn't have, I couldn't have handicapped myself worse on the attractive front than I did by that stupid friggin' mascara. And of course I also looked like a dickhead to all the other contestants. 
Is that is <laughs> that all the feedback go- you got? Like everybody was just kind of like, why did you bring the bloody mascara? No, I think maybe they must have bitched about me behind some palm trees because I never actually heard from anybody how much they thought I was a dickhead. But <laughs> I, I soon, like Kim Johnson, for in, for instance, like, you know, even though she went the first day or the first, you know, challenge, like she brought a sheet. And, I mean, that was helpful, <laughs> like much more helpful. So I'm pretty sure people must have, rolled their eyes behind my back or bitched about me, but no one ever said it to my face. <laughs> that's, wow, that's crazy. Did, yeah. um, you, you obviously had an interesting time out there with Fiona. You, you brought her up before. Um, do, do you remember kind of some shining moments? Because we saw a, a fair bit of her getting on a few people's nerves and ultimately you were the swing vote that kind of took her out after the tribe swap. So what was it about dear old Fiona that kind of uh, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way? Well, oh, look, I, I can't speak on behalf of everybody, but the one thing that I found... Uh, I think, again, you know, I think I was, like, in such a space where I was not my uh, true empowered self that I got kind of preyed on by certain people, and I think Fiona was one of them. And I realised that I must have come across looking like a weak dickhead when she, we walked we were walking along the beach and we ended up at this place where there was a bit of a, you know, a waterfall and whatever, and she suggested to me that we should go and bathe in the waterfall or the lake, you know, the, you know, the water under the waterfall and we should maybe take our tops off and, you know, have a bit of a sort of sirens moment. And I just remember thinking, what is she, I don't, like, because, you know, the film crew followed it. So I, that was my first thing too. I was always, you uh, know, like in a way, like after you're, so we'd been there a few days and, you know, it becomes this sort of space where you kind of can almost kind of kid yourself that you're just on an island and, you know, nothing's happening. But I realised when she asked me to go for a walk, suddenly the crew sort of scrambled and and there was something about the way they scrambled that I felt like it was more than them just thinking we were going for a walk, that it was almost like they knew something was going to happen. And so when we got to that place and she was sort of suggesting that we do this sort of topless moment, I just thought, oh, man, are you serious? Like, how desperate do you think that I am to be bloody well sitting at like, like what the hell, like seriously? And I just, I can't remember exactly how I worded it, but I just shut her down. And after that, I just thought, oh, no, you're a dickhead. <laughs> well, well, Amber, it's, it's funny you mentioned that scene because like Ben said before, the last week we've done a, a complete rewatch of this season and I actually messaged Ben straight away. I, this day and age with Survivor, you, you don't see any nudity. You might see a bum if you're lucky. Um, they certainly, I can't ever recall seeing a Survivor where they've shown uh, a breast and a nipple like they did with Fiona Horn. Well, so not on purpose, that, Matt. 
There was Gabon well, where we yeah. had the penis shown accidentally, but that's another story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but is that something like, so obviously it seems like with your season, it was no holds barred. Anything was, you know, if, or, or we did you have to tell them, hey, I don't want any shots of me nude or because, yeah, they wouldn't do that in this day and age. Survivor oh. on Channel 10 now, they don't show any nudity, nudity except for a, a bum. Oh, okay. So, no, I think that was obviously um, another little part of the guinea pig, guinea pig uh, series. Um, you know, I, at the end of the day, like as we know now, like it's, you know, when, when there's a millions reality TV shows and, you know, whether they're celebrities or not, it's based on the drama of desperation. So I think uh, Channel 7 100% was factoring in desperation and, you know, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, they, um, I mean, look, I mean, Fiona, look, I mean, you know, Fiona was like one of the sexiest female rock stars Australia's ever had way before her you know there wasn't a lot of like female rock stars in Australia like I respect that like she's she's done some amazing things in her life and you know she was used to being a sexy girl even though it might have been um a little further down the track from her you know uh heyday I don't mean that in terms of that didn't mean she wasn't still a sexy girl. Um, I just think she just sort of targeted the wrong person for that, um, which was me. Like the last thing that I was about was um, trying to be sexy or certainly, you know, exposing myself. And, you know, that was obviously something that was part of her repertoire and it just wasn't mine. So I guess I look back now in terms of the way, you know, she was and, you know, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. It's just, it just was, it just wasn't, I wasn't the person to target for that. And, and again, as I say, like I just, I was already uncomfortable about being on the show and the last thing I wanted to do was be part of something that was orchestrated to get us more airtime and be in the promos. Well, it definitely seemed like you were one of the, the sort of the favourites in your tribe amongst your tribe mates because we'll go to the last episode when they do the rites of passage and it comes to you. I've got a few quotes here. We've got Imogen calls you the queen of one-liners Oh. And and guy calls you the the world's funniest girl, so yeah. that's what they say. That's what they say about you in the final episode when they do the rites of passage. So clearly you were very popular amongst your group, but it yeah definitely you and Fiona it just didn't seem to to mesh. You know what? It's 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 interesting because I don't remember them saying that, and and it's quite nice to you know hear that, and because I guess you know I. I do like to keep things like I, my my personality is, you know. I keep things light. I, you know, I, I I look for the funny in things, and that's because I enjoy that. It's not because I'm trying to do that, but I enjoy that. So it's it's nice as much as I, I keep saying that I was in a different place and I was, you know, this sort of slightly more vulnerable per, 
version of myself that what you're saying is, uh, you know, probably true to what hopefully, you know, people would say about me now. But, yeah, I think, you know, I think, look, there was also a part of Fiona that was like she called herself the white witch. And I think people, including me, didn't understand that at the time. And, and in a way it almost to the people that didn't understand her, it might also feel like an extra kind of brand element that she was trying to sort of add to herself to make herself interesting. But, but I think that is probably true of her. I think she was probably a much more complex person than I understood at the time. And I think, you know, and again, going back to the whole celebrity thing, I think, you know, what, what ruined in a way that that season was that um, or what cheapened that season because we did really go through the hard yards was, you know, there were always going to be people like Fiona and whatever that would naturally try and crank things up to get attention and bring attention to themselves outside of the simple fact that we were doing a really difficult job. We were playing Survivor. I mean, shit, I I mean, there was moments when I was doing some of the challenges, like the underwater challenges, where we're going, we're swimming out to something and then we're underwater and we're tied to something, like a, you know, and then we're having to get a key and under, like, I mean, I thought I was going to die. Like, I literally thought I was going to, it was horrible. And there was no cutting corners. Like, there, like literally outside of the fact that, you know, there was a portaloo and they gave us free tampons for the girls, there was, n- there was no corners cut. We were dropped on that frigging island and we rotted. There was no celebrity corners cut. And that's where I think... Um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful after all these years when I'm probably more comfortable to talk about it and especially after seeing the recent season where I really have a lot of gratitude for you guys to go because the fact that you've gone, hang on, what about this forgotten season? Let's go and talk to them. And even if you find out in the end, yeah, it, it sounds like a lesser a lesser version. It wasn't quite the proper survivor. Like, that's fine. Like, you make that assumption but the fact that you've even, like, sought us out to ask us is wonderful because I think certainly for me and I reckon the other, a lot of the other casts and maybe especially the ones that, like, really went down the line, like Imogen, like, Jesus Christ, that little fucking pocket rocket, I mean, that little pin-up girl kicked some major friggin' ass and her spirit and her determination is unbelievable, like, before her time. Like, if she was doing that now, she'd probably be on speaking events all over the friggin' world. Like, who is this hot little girl that's known for this, that's gone and done this girl power thing? Like, she was unbelievable. Like, coming third, you know, obviously, you know, okay, great. Guy Leach comes first. Okay, you're a, you know, triathlon or a, you know, Ironman. Yep, so you should. But good on you. I'm not taking it away from you, but so you should. 
if you're up against me and people like, you know, Nicole and Imogen, but, you know, we just, it's just a bit sad that somehow it all got shelved because of that dumbass word celebrity and because I guess Channel 7, and they did an amazing job too, like they were, oh, God, they were an amazing crew, but just in, I guess they tested the waters to see if a little bit of the celebrity desperation might add to a brand that was already perfect. Which it's it's a fascinating moment in history when it occurred because obviously Channel 7 found that loophole in the in the contract uh, for the show Survivor because Nine held the rights. They had had the local version. They basically found that loophole through Castaway Television that allowed them to do a celebrity version without it you know, going on the the Channel 9 contract. And, of course, Channel 7 was in the midst of Dancing with the Stars had just started, hadn't it? They'd had another celebrity, was it um, the singing show, It Takes Two or whatever it was, had just aired around the same time. So 7 was kind of pumping out the celebrityness, and then it sort of it faded away. And then on the back of 10 having success of I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, they bring back Australian Survivor, you know, they're just they're kind yeah. of pumping out all these formats that have been around for a long time but having success. And this leads us into kind of what you're saying about how we're going back to talk to you, we're, we've been a long-term advocate for the 2002 Channel 9 version, which, again, modern fans of Australian Survivor dismiss them and their reasons are a they weren't very good so now we've got a good version and b they weren't produced by channel 10 it's a different canon so therefore it doesn't count now you look at a show like big brother which was very popular on channel 10 faded away got cancelled nine picked it up three or four years later nine actively celebrated the history of the show and did not ignore it now it looks as though seven might pick it up again in 2020 so whether or not they decide to take it on board the history or not it's fascinating that there are so many fans out there of this show because survivor is still widely popular around the world and the Australian version now is, is huge overseas as well. A lot of American fans are on board and saying it's even better than their version. So it it has always long been, particularly in myself, Amber, that, you know, you can't ignore something just because, A, you didn't like it, and, B, it's been forgotten about. Because it, it takes away from every single one of you that played that game. It takes away from the 16 people who played the 2002 version. And it just it, it baffles me because, as you said, Imogen, let, let's... Put her on the show today, and the four winners we've had of the Channel 10 version, yeah, very similar to how Imogen would have played, and she would be huge. You're absolutely right. I mean, you look at some of these people on, on Matt's season and the season we had this year, Champions Contenders, the celebrities, who have reignited their careers because they've played Survivor. And Imogen Bailey would be in that category for sure if she was on it today. Yeah, and I, I think in terms of Imogen too... Um like, I don't know, I, I didn't watch this uh, series, but obviously I saw lots of snippets of Pia Miranda um, supposedly looking like she was playing the game and being a bit bitchy and being, you know, a little bit manipulative and all that sort of stuff. You know, I think Imogen Bailey, um, even more so the Imogen Bailey of today, but also the Imogen Bailey of when we were on, she was a classier manipulator and I think she was an impressive female in terms of how to play the game, how to rise above being the short, sexy girl that people would naturally write off, but also without 
um, without diminishing her values and coming uh, and anyone coming away looking at her thinking uh, she you know resulted in bad behavior or what like she's to me she the way she played the game and and the human that she is now um, you know she's exactly what like females like the you know the 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 role models that we're supposed to know about and i think she would if if she had her time now um yeah she she would not be forgotten from the forgotten series she would be an everlasting uh female role model and Again, that's why I think it's really cool that you are re-looking at our uh, series, you know, not just from the overarching what was it about, you know, was the celebrity factor, you know, does that mean that it was a lesser series? But also looking at the individuals because we all had different stories and certainly... I think, uh, yeah. Look, I, I just think she's um, she's an extraordinary woman. That uh, if she had been sort of twelve years later, um, she'd be very much revered. Well, in my eyes, she was the star of your season. I, I really thought. I mean, there was that that twist in the game, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later on. But um, you know, just rewatching it again this week. She, absolute star star of your season and I would be a massive advocate to say if if we ever had a player from your season come back and play in a channel 10 version she must she would be a must to get a call to come back yes 100 100 yeah she I was like maybe you know as the others have said you know maybe funny here like light-hearted about the whole experience and you know that kind of thing but yeah, in terms of like being a fighter, her, like, and, and and as I said, like Guy Leach, like, well, you should win this. <laughs> you know, Wayne Gardner, well, you also should win this. Like, come on. I mean, seriously. Imogen Bailey, like, she's like a, the size of a key ring. You know, like she's tough as nails and mentally. Brilliant. And what I loved, what I loved about Imogen, you look. I think it was was it the first episode with the the pig challenge where um, I think that the first challenge was a swimming out and you had to dive down. And she couldn't she couldn't untie it and she had to swim back. And then there was the the pig challenge where she was a bit worried because she was with animal um, activists and all that. So she had that struggle early on in your season and then just grew and to this player that I thought was just you know should have won the game. Yeah, and I think also like um, like I'd forgotten about her cha- uh, her ch- personal challenges about the peak challenge, and I have to be honest, like that's one thing. Like you know, I've been like a pescatarian for two, three years. Like I was like a vegetarian until, or not a pescatarian until I was about fifteen. Then I dropped off the radar because I just got bullied by too many people. And then so two or three years ago, I went, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm shutting down my part of the murdering animals. That's how I feel. Blah blah blah. Sorry, seafood. You know, I just. I would just be. I will die of boredom if I am only a vegetarian. But 
she yeah so she was always like an animal advocate back then and I have to be honest like one of my biggest regrets about doing the season is actually doing that pig challenge because I feel really sick and sad that I was bought to do to stand in a ring and run at little pigs and pick them up and frighten them like I the fact that she had awareness on that 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 was an issue like I I feel very very sad and very bad about that part of my memory of survivor I I I feel hideous that I did that like I just that's you know I hadn't thought about it until recently and I just went oh man that yeah, it's really sad you did that, you know? Do, do you feel, kind of going back to what you were talking about, your own struggles, I guess, before going on the show and kind of dealing with what you were at that time, you know, putting the, the pig challenge aside, do you feel when you were out there in Vanuatu that improved sort of your your place that you were feeling at that point? Do you think the kind of the game being out there, um, you know, living in a damp and dirty island somewhere in the harsh winter of Vanuatu sort of helped you, I guess, recover from how you were feeling at that time? Definitely. Like, yeah, definitely. Because every single day and every single minute was I was out of my comfort zone. And it also allowed me, because you're literally just cut off from the world. Like you are, you know, it's the first time in your entire life that you're cut off from everybody else and so even though you there's cameras there you are so cut off like you and and you forget that cameras are there and even though there's cameras there they're not talking to you like there's no one talking to you so you are very present and so being very present in an environment that is very much out of your comfort zone you have like kind of like hour by hour wins, you know, that you end up feeling good about yourself. And if you, you know, if I look back and I go, okay, so I was on the show for 10 days. If I look at how many hours I was on that show, I failed maths. I certainly can't work that out. But that's a lot of wins. (laughs) That's That's a lot of wins, you know, like a million more wins than I had back home before I, I went on the show. And so your your self-esteem and also your disconnection from bullshit and, you know, and the crap that I'd come from. You know, I'm working in the media and I had this horrific ex-boyfriend that had completely targeted me because of my, you know, attention from the Mary thing. And, you know, he he'd called He'd like called paparazzi to say, we're going to be here and I'm married, even though I've told her that I'm not married. Like he, it was unbelievable the shit that I was going, it was horrific, you know, and I'd grown up, you know, in a single, you know, with a single mother, like my biggest thing in the entire world that I could ever say that I would never do wrong would be coming in the way of like a family or a child with a father and I got set up to be that person. So I was dealing with just horrific wounds um, 
And so, yeah, as I said, like being removed from that and having these hour-by-hour wins and also this hour-by-hour calm that I hadn't had for years. You know, when I left that show, I can't even describe to you how good I felt about myself. I, it was a hundred million times better. Like, I feel like I'm going to cry now, like just remembering, like, I just felt so good about myself and it had been such a long time since I felt good about myself. So what was obviously beautiful about that was this little thing that I had with myself that went, you're running the risk of going on this show and everyone saying you're riding on the coattails of your your friendship with Mary and the royal stuff. And I made the decision to go stuff that I know, I'm the only one that knows that I need to find this inner hero and... At the end of that experience on Survivor, like, I just got it, you know, five times more than I ever thought and it was just the most beautiful kind of coming to me moment, you know? Thank you, Anna Kornikova. Thank you, Anna Kornikova, for not getting on that damn plane. <laughs> and seriously? <laughs> She 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 was shit at she was shit at tennis amber, but she made you feel bloody good, so now all of a sudden I've got that newfound respect for her. Good on her. And here's the thing, look. You know, one of my friends used to work with uh, Enrique, what's his name? Enrique Anglosius, yes. And you know what? He loves her. They're fine. She didn't need it. She, Regardless of whether she's hot, they're happy. There was no time. There was no need. I didn't have any of those things she had. I love the fact that she either just went, oh, shit, was I supposed to get on a plane? <laughs> Who cares? Whatever, whatever it was. I do thank her. I'm just, I'm just picturing her sitting around there, like you know, just going, "Oh shit, what's the time? I was meant to be on that plane. What do I want to go do? Like, fuck my tennis career up a little bit more by serving a few double faults." Um, Well, she her manager was just really shit with time, and I just said, "Hey, there's this thing," and she's gone, "Yeah, that sounds good. Like, I'll do that. Yeah, fine." And then he's forgotten to give her the date or the time, or like, what happened? Well, she had that cameo in me, myself, and Irene. I don't know if that was around the same time, but maybe she had to go do that instead. But like, Jim Carrey movie, that... Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm happy that she said no and you came on because I tell you what, I don't think, I don't think she would have had any strategy going to the game, and and, and you definitely did. And I'll bring you you back to day six when you had the, oh. the tribe swap. Um, you had the tribe swap, and you end up on the tribe. You're still on Masso Tribe, but you're with Fiona and Justin, and you get your new two two new tribe mates, Elton Flatley and David Oldfield. So oh. the only the only female you're with now is Fiona. My mate. My mate. Yeah. So <laughs> when you saw the teams that that your new tribe, what, what was your first impression? Oh, to be honest, I don't specifically remember. I just remember thinking, oh, God, a really blokey guy like Elton, like (laughs) rugby players, 
farting, you know, I just, I mean, everything about blokey men scares me. So there was him and then I looked at David Oldfield and I thought, oh, God, angry, racist, demented. This is not going to be a nice time on this patch of sand. And Fiona. Uh, and then Justin doing his, you were screwed. <laughs> But it's funny, it's funny you say that, Amber, because you ended up voting with them to vote Fiona out. So what does that say about your relationship with, with Fiona? <laughs> it's a really good point, and I'm glad you remind me of that. So you ended up turning on your, the two original uh, Mosso tribe members to, to team up with the two new ones. Hang on. But did I, I didn't turn on Justin, did I? No, no, no. So in, in, oh, when yeah, you voted out Fiona... Fiona and yeah, Fiona and Justin. Did they? Who did they vote? Fiona for? and Justin it, voted for um, uh, David, and you, the remaining three, so David, Elton, and yourself, voted for Fiona. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. So yeah, Fiona, I'd had enough of. It was just stale energy. Um, it was yeah. It, it was just this sort of. Desperate energy that I didn't understand anymore. So I guess basic blokey farting energy and, you know, First Nation, whatever he was, was just something a bit fresher than whatever Fiona was. And she'd always, she was also a bit heavy-handed with shit. You know, I remember like waking up at, well, when you, when I say waking up, I mean I think you're just always awake. And I just remember her, like, you know, carrying on at about 4 a.m. about, oh, someone didn't, like, put this on the, you know, the fruit or the whatever it was. And I just thought, oh, no, like, seriously, you know what, this shit's hard enough without drainers like you. So I just knew that she, yeah, I, I, she just had to go. And I, I felt very bad about that, but. That was, I guess, that was one of my challenging. You're playing the game moments, mm-hmm. and I just had to. I just had to do it. And she was really shocked and hurt that I supposedly turned on her. But I didn't feel like I turned on her because I never told her that I was like on her side. Did you all, once you were voted out? Because I know in the US <laughs> version, once you're voted out, you kind of you hang around for a little bit before you get home. And the Australian version, they just get sent home straight away. Did you? get sent home straight away or did you kind of have to a couple of days later there's Fiona waiting for you back at the Losers Lodge? <laughs> the Losers Lodge. Um, so I so definitely Fiona had left the Losers Lodge. Um, so she wasn't hanging around to my to my memory. Um, but so I when I finished the show uh, everyone was like the, you know, the production crew and everyone were at um, the ho- this hotel, and I just wasn't because you weren't allowed to go back and speak to anyone or say anything and all that sort of shit. And because I'd also just had a really shit time, and also by that point, I didn't actually have anywhere to live. Like I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have, I'd. My last place that I was living in was my friend's couch because everything had literally gone to shit in my life. So I didn't actually have a home to go back to. So I was like, well, I'm just going to hang around for a bit. Like I've earned a holiday and I'm in this, you know, hotel and whatever. 
So I stuck around um, and also I ended up stupidly having a relationship, falling into a relationship with one of the cast, uh, not one of the cast. One of the cast. Oh, wait, hang on a minute. Who was it? Quick, breaking news. David David Olfer? Production. (laughs) One of the production crew. So I just... Yes, it was Dicko. Actually, you know what? Dicko, on my on my you know first night out, Dicko was so sweet. He was literally like, Amber, you know, you know, let's go out. You were the most popular person on the entire show, you know, blah, blah, blah. That was actually one thing that did happen. And, of course, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm not contracted. Um, when I made references while I was still on the island that, shit, I think I don't want to be here anymore. And I said to Justin Melvey, standing next to a palm tree, you know what, I don't know whether I can be here. I feel like, you know, I want to go home and maybe I should just let you guys, like, you know, win it and whatever, or, you know, go on. He's like, no, don't, don't leave me, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, the next minute he walks off back to his fire and one of the producers bails me up and says, please don't do this. I'm like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> Look, they hadn't spoken to me for 10 days. They're like, no, please don't do this. You don't understand. This is really, we need you to stay. And I'm like, I've just said to, and I, just, I think I've just put the nail in the coffin. They're like, no, please don't go. But we really need you to stay. They were shitting themselves thinking it was really boring. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's crazy. Mm. Mm. And I went, oh, um, <laughs> but it was too late. That night, tribal council, dear old Justin. <laughs> the back. Posing, yeah, posing, doing the whole too. magnum blue steel into the camera, doing the whole, you know, and oh. I slept with your daughter's friend, turns to the side and does the whole no, pose. <laughs> but he'd already, you know, even even when we're having that moment at the bloody under the tree, He'd definitely already plotted with David Oldfield and whoever else to stab me in the back. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, what the hell was I doing on a show when I expected people to expected to take people at face value? I mean, what's dickhead? So Dicko gave David Oldfield the title of the puppet master. So we can say that probably what he was the original Australian survivor puppet master. Was he that good at, at manipulating? Well, actually, I mean, as much as the type of person that David Oldfield is is not my cup of tea, I feel like, I mean, he was an interesting one because he's known for being dodgy and manipulative. Like, I mean, that's his stick off the show. So I never found him that grating in that way on the show, but then I also... You know, as we've established, I was a little bit naive and distracted on on that front. All I really remember about David, and it was a night, talk about karma, it was the, it was the night that I'd voted off Fiona Horn and suddenly I'm sleeping in the wet sand with friggin' Elton Flatley, the rugby player, David Oldfield, the dodgy bloody politician, and, and and you know, bloody Justin Melvey, the fake doctor from General Hospital, <laughs> spooning them 
to sleep while they talk about fart jokes and sex jokes and blah, blah, blah. And I'm in the middle of them going, what is my life? <laughs> what is my life? Like Ugh. I'm spooning scumbags. You were happy to be voted <laughs> out like two days later. You were going, oh, thank fuck for this. I mean, it was the smartest thing I've ever done. Why would I? I mean, look. Had I known, you know, in non-celebrity world there could have been half a million dollars, I still think I probably would have gone, <laughs> stuff that I'm out. <laughs> it was horrific. It was And I'm like kind of a little bit of a feminist. Like it was just vile. But I, I guess that's that's with, with a celebrity season like this where where people are only getting paid for the, appear, the appearance fee and not – to, you know, not to actually win the half a million. It, it, I guess that's a problem, especially for production, to to keep the motivation up of all their cast members to to want to actually stay in the game. I guess that's why you said they came to you and were pleading with you to 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 not give up and stay in because that would be a massive concern for them. Is oh, half the cast is giving up and it doesn't make for great TV. Yeah, um, you know what? I'm gagging to hear your series to see if the rest of the cast admit how much they got paid. Um, <laughs> we'll get it out of them. Don't worry. Yeah. Can you please do that? And I'm bracing myself that, you know, everyone got more than me. But um, 30, if I'm remembering correctly, was fine by me at the time. Um, yeah, I mean. Well, pe- well, people, these days people quit their jobs to, you know, and, and go on for free. So to get paid a 30 grand fee, for, for, what, nine, ten days, that's it's pretty good. Yeah, and I think people like Elton Flatley being the rugby player, like I think he was probably, you know, blokes doing sport well, you're okay. You know, you're going to get another job. Someone's going to want to speak to you again. He, to be honest, even though I sort of like say it was hideous, you know, spurning him in the wet and the bloody, all of that shit, I do remember he was a gorgeous guy. Um, and there was definitely, I think, a you know, a sense that he didn't care. He was just a cool guy doing his thing, being a very popular, very cute-looking rugby player. I mean, you know, what what more do you want in Australia? Like, you know, so he was he was kind of cool. Um, but I do think everyone outside of me. Um, maybe not Nicole Richie. Um, I know, but I think, oh, shit. Oh, it's these deleted scenes, Matt, that we never watched. Uh, uh, you're obviously a fangirl of Nicole Richie. I'm just trying to elevate us. Or her, or her father, Lionel. <laughs> I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to elevate our series a tiny bit. I'm sorry, Nicole Dixon, and she's amazing. Um, I feel like I don't feel like anyone else cared about the money. I feel like the tick 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 was about time on air. You know, and and it still happens. It still happens today. You know, because the more controversial you'll be, the more airtime you're going to get. And even the even the contenders that have been out there the last two seasons, they're not celebrities, but I can guarantee you, they're playing up to the camera. I played up to the camera. Because you know, 
the more you play up to it, the more airtime you're going to get. And sometimes airtime is as good as winning, as we've seen in this latest season. So, um, you know, it's not always about coming first. I was very natural on my season, though, Matt. I was just myself. I didn't play up to the camera at all. I was... Your season when you dropped your pants was a bit over the top. Yeah, well, but, like, it's what they wanted to see, Amber. Like, come on, you know. That brought the ratings up. But the fact that they edited it out completely and I'm the only one that knows that, like, I mean, I think that says no one needed it. Well, you know, you had your reasons for making that happen, Amber, and I'm still not happy with you, but we can we can move past that. It's all right. You run your risks. You run your risks. Um, yeah, I, yeah, and you know what? I didn't, you know, it was a very, so what was it, 2006? So Mary was married in 2004. So, you know, it was really only two years um, of me getting a glimpse of, supposedly what being a celebrity was about. And that was also two years of me being very uncomfortable, even though I was like in newspapers and magazines a lot, I wasn't fully understanding or I was begrudging, you know, I was sort of accepting, enjoying, begrudging, uncomfortable, not feeling worthy of being that celebrity in that two years of time. So it was very a fragmented experience for me. Whereas now I look back on it and I think, yeah, Christ. I mean, all, all of those other contestants understandably were more aware of what they were doing and and had more agendas and, and fair enough, like fair enough. So, so how long did that spotlight last for? So obviously 2004 you were the bridesmaid, 2006 you're on, you're on Survivor. How, how long was it sort of, was it cut short suddenly or how, how does it, how does it work? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, good question. Um, it, well, it's hard to remember, but it was, it lasted what felt like a long time. Um, so I guess what happened in a good way after Survivor was that within about sort of six to six months to a year, I reached out to a, a radio because everyone in Survivor said, you should be on radio and, you know, blah, 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 like off air. They're like, you should be on radio, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I'd love to do that. But, like, I would never think that I would get that. That's for other people and blah, blah, blah. And after the show, I ended up, uh, moving back to Melbourne, working in my dad's, uh, hiding away in my dad's um, office in his carpet business in this very ordinary little suburb because I I no longer had, I treaded the line of kind of like known and celebrity and I, so, and having a proper gig had also sort of got compromising. So I was in this really shit zone of neither here nor there. And especially after having done the TV show and also it was before it had come out so I didn't know what was going to explode from that. And so I, yeah, so I ended up in this sort of little zone and I reached out to a guy that, I just kind of went, well, okay, well, maybe I should just, I've got nothing to lose. I might just reach out to the head of the biggest network in Australia for radio 
because I've got nothing to lose. Like, so I send him an email. He doesn't respond. I already think I'm shit. Who cares? So I literally just found out who was like the big boss at um, uh, Southern Cross Osteria and I just sent him an email just saying, hi, I'm Amber Petty. Um, don't know whether you know who I am, but I'd love a job in radio one day. Keep, keep me in mind. And he literally responded the next day. And little did I know that he knew about me, but he was all about celebrity. So the fact that I'd been a royal bridesmaid and the fact that he knew about Celebrity Survivor coming out or whether it was on or I think it had been on by that point, he was all about me. Like I was hot as hell. And, of course, I just didn't think that that would be the case. So from literally that point onwards, we started negotiating about where I would end up on radio which resulted in me um, ending up on uh, as a breakfast host on SAFM. So I guess um, the kind of celebrity or whatever extended, but to a point it didn't nationally because my profile had been national. And then after a while I was sort of in South Australia and I might have been sort of hot stuff there, but eventually, you know, nobody cares about that nationally so it got quieter which was great because they were also in in South Australia they were also really supportive in that they were just all about the work that I was doing there and either liking me or not liking me and that was really lovely because I didn't want to be known for being the friend of I wanted to be known for what I felt like I'd already started to build which was you know, some writing and some TV and some little bits of radio kind of stuff. And so then, you know, then I became kind of the radio girl. Um, and then I guess any time anything happened with Mary, that became a national thing and I'd get dragged into it. And that was a that was better. Um, but then, you know, then you get years where no one talks about you and then suddenly... Woman's Day is writing, uh, saying that the Queen of Denmark uh, is, you know, insisting that Mary uh, ditches me as a friend because I'm a witch. So that'll always, that shit will always come up about me, even if I'm like probably, you know, 60 or whatever, there'll still be, there's a, there's a, there's a theme the media like about me because Mary's so perfect and, and royal and all that stuff. I will always be the occasional sidekick story that's crazy, loose, controversial, whatever. Like I'll always be wheeled in as that, but it's just the, the time difference between the regularity of that happening these days is, um, not what it used to be. What I'd really appreciate, Amber, if you want to drop something incredibly controversial about Mary right now, get us a new idea so we can actually get some listeners to this show. It'd be much appreciated. <laughs> well, you know what? You do your PR. She farts. She farts it's all fine. the time. Admit it. Admit it right now. All she does is fart and swear. Come on, give us a give us a goss. That's that's all I know her for. I mean, Thank you. that's all she. New idea. That's all you're she welcome. Did. Before I think she met Frederick. Done. Like, I'm emailing this to them after this episode's aired. Done. <laughs> Just give them the transcript and highlight the bits. 
so Amber, is it is it hard when you when I guess there's there's always that one day you wake up and you and you realise the hype is over and you're sort of back to before. I mean, not that you'll ever fully go back to before 2004, but you know it, there comes a time when you I guess you do wake up and realise that the hype is over and you're sort of back to where you were a few years ago. Is that is that hard to to deal with? Some I guess everyone handles it differently. How did you handle it? I think um, I think my reference to that was probably the hardest part was like after I left SAFM and I moved back to Melbourne, I felt that I still wanted to do radio. So it wasn't about I still want to be known. It was like I felt like I, you know, the most recent thing that I thing that I discovered that I loved was radio. So. You know, the nervousness of like, oh, God, where do I get that from the next time and maybe I never will, that was that was tough for a few years. Um, and I definitely, you know, and I ended up doing some talk back here and things were going on, but there was always sort of another part of me that was sort of dragging away a little bit and that ended up getting sort of more of my attention the more things didn't open up. I, I guess you get to a point where when doors aren't opening, it's for a reason. But I think I'd done so much kind of work on myself and therapy that I didn't take doors not opening in the way that I was trying to make them open as being you're not good enough or you're not interesting or anything like that. Like I, I did a lot of therapy while I was working in Adelaide because I was there for like four years and things really landed on me when I was there. I was very alone. And so all my negative feelings about myself were very well heard once I was, you know, in Adelaide because I was, you know, I'm getting up and I'm at work at quarter to five in the morning. I could be finished by 11 a.m. And then I'm in a city that I don't have any friends in. I don't have anyone else. And so you've got a lot of time to, like, hear the noise and to, you know, and to realise how negative it is and then to either do something about it or drink yourself stupid, which I did a little bit of. But then, <laughs> well, you're, but then also did, an, you're also in Adelaide, Amber, so that's kind of, you know, pretty natural reaction, right? Cool. Like I could have been like the healthiest human being in the world and still gone over there and drunk a bottle of wine every night. But, no, I, look, I, I have such um, respect and fond memories of Adelaide and I believe that I needed to go there for that period of time not just to hone skills in something that I really loved but also to be alone enough to go and do therapy and there's an, a lot of incredible uh, alter, uh, alternative therapists in Adelaide. It's Adelaide. Like it is literally the spiritual capital of Australia. Like it was amazing. So, but what has gradually happened, I think, with me, because I like your question um, and I think it's very relevant to anybody that you would speak to in my series, where I, I have ended up, like now, I've been writing a book about some crazy kind of stuff um, that includes many parts of my life um, and I'm... So I, I, I became what I consider a writer in Adelaide because I very quickly got offered a writing job at the local newspaper while I was doing radio. 
And I couldn't understand why the hell they were asking, you know, offering me that. <laughs> every single week I'd submit my column and I just, every time the, every time my phone would ring and it would be like an, you know, like a private number, I'd think, oh, shit, here he comes. This is the editor going, what? Sorry. Like, I don't know what we thought we were doing with, like, but my column went on for seven years. Like, three years past the time I was even living in the state and a parochial state. So where I've kind of ended up is I've 99% finished this book that I'm now really proud of. I've got a book agent who's incredible who's pitching it next week to a publisher and I will always want to do podcasts and stuff like that. But deep down, I've always wanted to be a writer. I mean, you know, I was a kid that grew up across the road from a library and I just spent every moment I could just sniffing books, opening them up, just reading a couple of pages, putting it down. You know, I've ended up, look, and who knows how people will receive my book, but I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, things can be uncomfortable but sometimes that uncomfortability and what you think is your be-all and end-all, is, is, it's not there. It's like look off to the right. Like you're denying yourself of the bigger dream. And the bigger dream for me has always been being a writer. So I would love to be famous for writing. Being just famous or having that notoriety that I've had in the past, fuck that. <laughs> I, I am ready for people to talk about me saying I love her book or it's shit. So when can we expect this book to be released? I'll take both. Um, I would imagine if um, I would well, I definitely next year. Great. Mm. You can add an extra chapter about how amazing this conversation was. Of course, we expect that. <laughs> um, just, just You'll be in the cover line. Thanks. But this book would never have been possible had I not done that. <laughs> <laughs> they pushed me over the edge. They just they got me that final chapter in there. Were, were, was it disappointing to get your torch snuffed, to get voted out? Do you think you were kind of getting into a bit of a groove uh, at that point of the game when you initially did get voted out? No. No, I was just um, naively surprised that my, my mate, because I just thought we were just hanging out on an island. No, I, I was just surprised that um, Justin was so two-faced. But... You know, I mean, like, again, what did I think I was there? You know, like, and he's an actor. I mean, please, who trusts actors? Yeah, but, I mean, he was only a general hospital actor. That barely counts. That's like me calling myself a radio host. I mean, you know, I mean, I am, but at the same time I'm also a podcaster. Does that really count as the same thing? Like, you know, like. Yeah, but I think my, I think I had so much on my mind that, um, yeah, he, he he was an actor, a very basic actor that, uh, you know. You said it enough there, basic actor, pretty much that's there. And, uh, basic, you know. <laughs> just Just also I wanted to add uh, just quickly as well, uh, everyone should listen to the Ben and Mal Variety Hour Radio South on Wednesday nights at 8pm. That proves that I'm a radio host. But when, when it came to the the twist that came into it then, which obviously brought the jury members with a chance to get back in the game, I'm guessing then that you didn't really care that you weren't included in that group to come back in the game by that point if you were done at that point. Um, I've totally forgotten about that. So, um, 
No, I didn't care. I definitely didn't want to go back. I was done. It's interesting. Definitely. I don't know. That's, that's something you don't hear often too much now from Survivor players, no. is it? Yeah. Well, yeah, because Wayne, Wayne left after you and then it was it was after Guy left. He was the first jury member and in the end it was Guy, Elton, Justin and Gabrielle had a chance to come back in the game and, of course, it was Justin and Guy. Which It, it was a shame that you didn't get that chance because I know, for one, I would have loved to have seen you sort of play that individual game. Actually, so weird because I'd totally forgotten that and then I... And you're reminding me that it was presented and there was people behind the scenes saying that they that they wished I had been part of that and they wished that they could have seen what I could have achieved. And I definitely now remember thinking, yeah, what could I have achieved because... Well- well, well, especially now, Survivor's a very social game. I mean, it always has been, but, you know, that's what gets you to the end, a social, being a social player. And from the comments, I guess, that your tribe mates were, were saying about you at the end, you were obviously very social. So I, I dare say if you would have got yourself back into that game, you would have had a good chance of getting to the end. Um, yes and no. I think if it was me now, see, the thing is me then was very caught up in my own world of being quite sort of hurt by life and how I tackled it and very sort of lost in my own identity. And when you're lost in your own identity, you're obviously not strong. So I didn't know where to put my strength. Now, if it was me now, I'd be fucking brilliant. (laughs) Seriously, because... I, after all these years and after all these experiences and, like, you know, writing this book, which I have, like, channeled so much of my kind of, like, mental health issues, my, you know, linking my dots back to, like, why did I end up in that situation and and also, you know, planning a second book, which is very much about how fierce and angry a person I was when I was younger. So it's almost like I was young. There was part of me that's lived a life being the young, being young that turned into a ferocious bitch from hell. I mean, seriously, you would never have wanted to be on that single and like I was just scary, scary girl. And then it's almost like I was so bad that I then kind of loosened so much that it's almost like I, there was no boundaries and I let the wolves in, you know, the hyenas in. And it's like, so I was still very much in let the hyenas, no idea about myself, ashamed about how fierce I was, all of these sort of things when I was doing Survivor. But now I feel like I'm this good blend of both, which is it's like if, it's like I know I can sniff an arsehole a mile away. And I mean that like girl or guy, like I'm not talking arsehole like just guys, like it's not about that. But I can sniff a dishonest person a mile away and it's not that I hold like, oh, I want to kill them, I want to get them, I'll snuff them out, like any of that. It's like 
it's just this really good place of knowing. So if I was ever in a situation that I'd either put myself in voluntarily or didn't but was suddenly surrounded by people I couldn't trust, I can play them and sniff them like nobody's business. (laughs) Calmly, like they wouldn't, I could play slightly dumb, slightly vulnerable, you know, I could, I, I also, because of my history of being burnt, I could look at someone that was, I knew that was in my way or if it was a competition that, you know, a Pia Miranda and I could play her and I could play it with intensity because I can call on my damage and anger from before to go, I'm going to nail you. Like I, I can nail you and, it's, and I won't, you know, it's almost psychopathic but at the end of the day I won't hold it and it's not like I would carry that to a personal extent where I'm like, right, I'm now, that person's done me wrong, blah, blah, blah. But I can really, there's, there's a puppeteering that I can do as me now because of my experiences that I think would hold me in incredibly good stead in a survivor situation now. And, I mean, if, if you got that phone call to say, hey, come back, play again, this time you're playing for half a million, everything you've just described then, you, you've got to have that mongrel in you to, mongrel, to, play, yes. to, to play the game these days. You've got to have that mongrel in you. It's no longer mateship like it was back in those yeah. early early it's, seasons. It's and animalistic. It, that's right. And it sounds like from what you're saying that you're at you're you're at the right age now where you know who you are. Mm. You know exactly what you would need to do to, to yeah, to go a long way in the game. Is that something if you ever got that phone call or ever had a chance to to play a game survivor now where you can actually play to win your own money, is that something you'd you would uh want to do? No. Wow. No. No. Never. Sorry, Channel 10. Put that phone down quickly. Come on. (laughs) Exactly. 7, 9, 10. Put the phone down. Like, stop, stop, stop. We're that influential. We're that influential on this show, Emma. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it surprises me. I I guess, you know, a lot of people, after they play, they they say, no, I'm never going to play again. Doesn't matter if they've. You know, lasted the whole way or been voted out first. They, you know, they at first they might say, "Oh, no, nah, I'm done. I've, I've done it." But then eventually they're like, "If I got the call, I'd play." So it's it's surprising yeah. that uh, yeah, you you wouldn't want to do, wouldn't want to do it. No, because no, I don't care. I've been there, done that. Um, I don't care about money enough to do something that's uncomfortable. I've spent enough years being uncomfortable and not enjoying life. I'm never going to do that again. I, I, I have this sort of like mantra with myself that I have big dreams of making half a million dollars or more, but it's literally through writing a book and maybe writing a book and it becoming a Netflix series or whatever. Like I have big, big aspirations but it's not in doing anything like that ever. There's, there's literally, I, I would never 
It would not, and 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 it half a million is a lot of money. It's just I'm not. I I think it's literally down to the fact that I feel like I've spent so many years being anxious, uncomfortable, unhappy. Even though there was great things happening at the same time, it's hard not to remember how shit you felt for so long. And I'm just not, I'm not up for sale to feel shit. Well, I think you you wrote, you recently wrote a, a column for the Daily Telegraph in regards to your experience and kind of tying that in with the current season as well, which was a fascinating read. I think it kind of, you know, obviously for yourself too, to, to bring back those memories. So it's um it's definitely, I think, an interesting time right now that we've tracked you down for this interview. You've written that, kind of all this being brought up and everything along those lines. It's um it's fascinating to kind of to, to have you talk to the extent that you have about everything here and be so open with us about everything as well. Well I really thank you two for having this window of time to talk about everything that we've talked about because you know, as I said, like a lot of that, like we're not just talking celebrity because we've talked about, you know, previous kind of like the Mary sensation and all of that stuff. Like we've talked all about that. But as I've told you, I'm also potentially putting myself out there in the biggest way I ever have by writing this book because this book that I've written is literally, I mean, I, I mean, there's, you know, outside of, like, describing my sexual experiences, it's all there. Um, and it is either going to be picked up and of interest to people or it's going to kind of just sort of go nowhere. But if it does get picked up in the way that I hope that it will because I, I've written it in a way, you know, I've written it purely because... I know that there's other women in their 20s and 30s that are, you know, mixed up and confused and going through shit and I that's why I wanted to kind of like write this book. Um, but potentially I'm opening myself up again to fame or discussion and in a world that has many more platforms than it used to to discuss me, you know. And so I, I think it's quite lovely i've enjoyed the experience the unexpected experience of talking about my uh perspective on where i've been where i'm going at a time when you know outside of survivor maybe no one would have asked me so i really thank you for that because i think it's it's felt nice to me and it's also kind of clarified a few things in my own head before I become like one of the best-selling authors, you know, <laughs> the world's ever known. <laughs> and also, I also, I, I, well, that's true, and we're glad that you sort of you broke that here. That's another thing. I mean, you guys are pretty. Like, do you know what I've been saying? Like, I really believe in manifesting, and I do everything that I do. I do with laughter, right? So, ever since I've been writing this book, or for a long time, I say. Oh, you know, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to be the best-selling author in 23 countries, one of them being Russia. I've been saying that for years because if you put it out there and so naturally people say, oh, why Russia? And I go, well, because there's a shitload of people there. And then people always go, but what about China? And I go, don't worry, China's in the 22. <laughs> 
I like that. That that works. So is India, uh, the states, Indonesia, all these you know high populous countries out there. Boom, that's how it works. They're all in there. Yeah, exactly. So potentially, I'm going to be so famous because I've been saying that for years. And if I've been saying that for years, then you're going to just have to create a podcast to go. Uh, here's the podcast about when you say things a lot and then it happens. Yep, yep. And and exactly. And then while you're on all these speaking engagements, sort of, you know, talking to Oprah and people like that, you can drop us every, like, mention, like, hi, I'm Oprah, welcome to the show, Amber Petty. And you'll be like, thanks, Oprah, listen to the Oz Network. That's all you have to say. Correct. And maybe but- I will. I'll just be happy with the signed copy of the book, to be honest. <laughs> you can aim high. You can, so you can tell Matt hasn't been a long enough coast on this show. He's not sucking up as much as I am. So that's kind of like what we're going to do here. Don't worry, Don't worry Ben. I, I, I know PR, but I also, I'm also very touched that he wants the signed copy. So, you you know, I'm also very excited for the fact for the first time ever in, in hosting this show or any show, I've actually uh, made someone cry, not just by listening to the crap we're putting out. So I'm actually glad my question <laughs> brought some tears of some other substance uh, there, Amber. So thank you for that as well. It's not I don't want to downgrade you, but I feel like these days <laughs> every time I have a discussion, I end up in tears. Oh, come on. No, don't. Oh, jeez. Oh. There it is. <laughs> no, no, no. But you are very Oprah, and that's the only reason why that happened. Oh, look at that. Can I put that on my CV? Uh, yeah. Very Oprah, Amber Petty. Uh, is that quote? <laughs> it's going on BenWaterworth.com. It's going to be the, the, yeah. the like the absolute, um, the the one number one there. Amber, it has been a lot of fun, and we really appreciate your time. And uh, by all means, give give yourself a plug. Let let people know. Can they? You have social media. Can people sort of follow what you're up to? Thank you. I mean, not that I need any extra followers considering I'm going to have a book um, that's like number one in 23 countries, blah, blah, blah. Um, No, of course, yes. Um, So I have a website called uh, amberpetty.com.au. There is a newsletter on that that you can sign up if you have any vague interest in finding out where my book is out. And then outside of that, Instagram, which is a cool place, which is missamberpetty.no, missamberpetty. That's it. Yeah, that's That's it. it. Thank Simple. you so much, you two. You are the, like the cutest. I don't know. You like I, I like you two. <laughs> that's that's ben, a great. Okay. You ben, are the cutest. Okay. I like you two. That that works. You yep. are the. Yeah. Just two quick questions, Amber, to finish off. Yes. One is I have to ask every Survivor player this, especially one that hasn't played for thirteen years. Do you still have your Survivor buff? The your your mosso buff. Your your headwear. Oh, headwear. Um, we we call it a buff these days. It's it is yours was slightly different to how they to my one and how they make them now. But yeah, the bandana. Yeah, they call them a buff now. Oh, okay. Um, not sure about the buff, but I have the hessiany sort of bag and I have the boob tube. I call nice. it a boob tube. I don't know whether it was a boob tube, but I ended up wearing it like a boob tube. Yeah, well, that's the, that's kind of like I think that's what we we use now as a buff, and we just you can put it on your head, you can wrap it around your hand. So uh, yes, he's as a boob tube as well. It looked, yeah. it was amazing. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Poor girlfriend. The last question now: your charity, you you the five thousand dollars was for the, for the Australian Red Cross. 
Was yes. there a re- any reason in particular why you chose the Australian Red Cross? Or was- yes. Um, at the time, I was fairly involved with the Red Cross and I, um, I was on the executive working committee, um, which basically means that I wasn't like a board member, but I was like a regular member. And, um, you know, the Australian Red Cross are like, you know, pretty much the oldest charity in the world. They've been in every nook and cranny of disaster and trauma. And I, yeah, that, that was important to me and I was very involved with them at the time. So it was a very, very natural fit because, um, yeah, I was already involved with them on a sort of working capacity, non-paid working capacity, and um, I still very much believe in them. Do you think they should have gotten a bit more than five grand? I think that kind yeah, of thing. It does seem a bit low. <laughs> I mean, what a piece of piss. Maybe yeah. it was gonna be maybe it was gonna be ten grand, but then when they had to pay you that extra fee for the whole yeah. Anna Corner COVID debacle, they said, Oh well, it's now five thousand for all the charities. That, yeah, my agent actually said to me, Well, if we if we up our fee, the Australian will yeah, that- and I said, That's not my problem. <laughs> Good job, Amber. Well done. There you go. There's a new idea headline. You know, Amber, Amber Petty costs charities thousands of dollars because she wanted an extra appearance for a celebrity Excuse survivor. Me. I think I've just spent an hour and a half letting you know that, that I want a charity case. And, you know, if you believe by now that I, I deserve that money more than the Australian Red Cross, then you're obviously an idiot. <laughs> <sighs> I'm looking forward to picking up this book, Amber. It's going to be all about me, me, me. Clearly, that's all it is going to be. It's just that's all it's always been. That's that's all yes, it is. Maybe, maybe. Amber, Amber, I tell you what. I'm so glad that I got in contact with you and that Ben, ben and I have decided to do this this <laughs> review of this this lost season that we don't get too many people talking about, but hopefully now we will. <laughs> yes. Thank you for thank you for putting the spotlight on us, and um, yeah, I appreciate your time and your interest on it. And what a fantastic chat that was! Big thanks to Amber, and we will get her on again during Australian Survivor Archives because I think kind of the more we discuss and lead up into that season in particular, it'll be interesting to get some insight, particularly when we get some other people lined up. Because Matt, as you said earlier in the introduction of course um other people lined up just talked to a lot of people um from season two in particular and season one we've tracked down a few others that we haven't had on the show as well so i think this is a the start of something quite exciting something that's never been done before uh in in anything this is going to be a first for for australian survivor a, a project that is is tracking the history from the very beginning to where we are today yeah and i hope that Anyone that's listened to this interview today and and may have, you know, before they clicked on it, thought, hang on a sec, you know, this season doesn't count or this is, you know, why are we talking about this? I dare say after this interview they've just listened to, I would like to challenge them to say, hey, you know, what's their opinion now? Because that was an amazing interview. Amber gave such good insight. And I'm so excited to start interviewing, you know, the rest of the contestants. And, um, yeah, once again, I just want to thank Amber for being such a good – you know, such a good sport and um, giving us so much information and, and definitely someone that we will definitely have back on uh, the show, back on Australian Survivor 
archives in the future. It's all going to kick off uh, this Friday. We're going to bring you an introduction episode just to the project in general and kind of going through there. And it's it's very, very exciting for us to bring this to you kind of under this whole Oz Network family of shows that we have out there. Obviously, there's a few that I know listeners intersect between, say, this and 007 got Euros Vision, uh, the, Off the Podium, and trying to tag everything here, Matt, while I remember. Uh, the Brink, uh, the qualifying lap still there, but we haven't done an episode in that in about a year and a half. Uh, I think that's everything. Just, you know, whatever. We'd like to shamelessly plug. But this is a new one, and it's going to be very exciting. So we'll kick it off this Friday with an introductory episode. Uh, we've got a special cameo from a uh, uh, somebody who's going to introduce our episode, which I'm very excited for. So stay tuned for that. And if you head over, just search for Australian Survivor Archives on Facebook. That is where we're going to sort of the main hub for things. There'll also be a Twitter page and Instagram as well where you can follow. And we're also going to have a bit of fun with it too. It's not just the podcast side of things, but social media. We're going to, you know, go through the history, bring you some great little moments, kind of some flashbacks and things along the way to just celebrate the history of, of 17 years of Australian Survivor survivor yeah absolutely ben i'm already uh heading over and liking those pages so excited mate and we've got our first interview but uh can't wait to do the intro for the new podcast and exciting times ahead and i hope the listeners are going to be hanging out for our next interview remember to like us here on facebook me and tommy if you haven't liked the oz network page and of course all the other relevant channels leave us some feedback while you're on itunes and everything and stay tuned for if you're a survivor fan of the oz network island of the idols coverage continues this week and if you're not a fan of survivor don't know why you're listening to this episode but cool uh maybe maybe you're a princess mary fan and thought hey cool that's why i listened to amber's interview uh we've got other episodes as well our star wars coverage continuing third watch and uh, our terminator dark fate review will be up this weekend after we see the movie so matt thank you pleasure as always no it's been a pleasure mate can't wait and we'll be back next time on the oz network thanks for tuning in we'll speak to you next time good night thank you for listening to the oz network don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week for more information hit us up at the oz network.net